the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Gary Bridgman. So welcome onto the show, Gary. Hello, James. How are you? I'm not too bad on, on this fine, as you as you put it, in between Christmas and New Year as we're recording this. So I'm, I'm as well as can be expected. In Swedish, they have a name for it. They have a name for this period between Christmas and New Year called the uh, Melendagen, the in-between days. I like, I like, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of that. This this space of nothing really much is happening, is it? Is between Christmas and New Year. It's kind of you know, it's like this is dead zone that we have. That you know, some people go back to work. You might do something. You know, I'm thinking about doing some work today. I've got a coaching call on later. But it really isn't much between now and a new year. Just kind of chilling out. And and before we delve into today's episode, Gary, for for the people that don't know a lot about you, listening to the episode, and by chance up getting to see the video content of it, mm-hmm. can you give it like a brief, not summary, but a brief kind of overview of who you are and kind of what you do. Sure. So um, well, I'm, I'm here in Belgium, in Brussels, which uh, I think is a, is a country that you have some connection with as well, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've been here oof, nearly 10 years now. I've had quite a, an eclectic kind of life. Um, pretty much I grew up in the Middle East, uh, in the Oman when I was younger, up until the age of like nine-ish. Um, and then my, uh, my father died at nine, uh, through cancer. Um, and that kind of just shook my world. Um, and it's taken me my, all the rest of my kind of 30 odd, eight years on the planet to come to terms with that, that, uh, event. Um, and I did a lot of kind of searching, a lot of kind of going down different routes, trying to find out who I was and trying to fill on all these different identities to, to trying to work out, you know, after that event, it kind of just shook me. And um, I did the usual thing. I just tried to live my father's life initially, I think. Um, and I tried to to become different people. I tried on different um, sort of identities, jobs. Kind of could, could never succeed to, you know, I would always was successful up to a certain point in my life. You know, up until the point became too anxiety producing and too overwhelming for me. Um, and then I would give in to all my emotions. I'd give in to all my negative thoughts. Um, and I would, you know, just go back to being stuck again. And I tried everything, to be honest with you. I've tried, I've been in therapy for a long time, um, uh, you know, looking for different spiritual paths and religions, um, looking, uh, reading every self-help book going, uh, just uh, trying drugs as well, a lot of psychedelics um, to sort of try and find out who I was and, and try and find some meaning in life, uh, a lot of acid, a lot of... A lot of um, uh, different psychedelics as well, um, uh, alcohol, uh, uh, relationships, everything to try and fill this hole. Um, and eventually I settled on a 
particular method of living my life or sort of the way that I, I live now is through a, a method called acceptance and commitment training, which is a, um, which is called ACT for short. Um, it's a behavioral science um, the, the method that comes from therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. And it really is, um, it's just a nice framework to live your life. And it kind of works, you allows you to, to come in contact with the present moment, come in contact with your emotional experience, try not to struggle or fight with it, try not to put any kind of story or meaning around it and just be with it. And um, the anxiety that I have uh, and the, the kind of existential angst that I have is always going to be there. There's always this part of me that's, that's not quite fully um, complete. Um, and that just allows me to, to live my life in a way where I'm, I'm in contact with my values. I'm just in contact with the present moment as much as I can be. Uh, and I can still take action and not listen to my thoughts and not listen to my, um, uh, my emotions. Um, and so now I've just settled on this path of teaching other people that uh, approach um, as a life coach uh, and just showing them that most of my clients come from a background like me that have had some trauma in their life, that have had some sort of um, a trauma that's kept them stuck and they can't seem to get away from it, um, which is the same thing as, as I, I, I've experienced. And you mentioned there, Gary, that you've tried a numerous amount of, um, how would I put this, avenues to c- kind of solve a problem. Yeah. And when you, you look, you talk of it as wearing different masks. Mm-hmm. Is that because you haven't, until this, the moment where you are now, found a true purpose, a true, you're not actually connecting with your true values and true marks? true morals yeah i suppose so i mean i think we all kind of like put on these identities don't we to try and fit in with everybody else around us so we all have these kind of false identities that we put on um and these false roles and i kind of have an experience of of doing that of sort of going into places and trying to be somebody that that i'm not um just trying to fit in um and and i think there's always this underlying current um, in people's lives of that you're trying to be somebody different than you are now, um, or you're trying to step up or you're trying to make your life about something. And um, for some reason you can't sort of break through, you can't sort of find that purpose and meaning that, that you have. Uh, and you look for it externally. You know, I look for it externally. I look for it. Okay. It might be over here and I'll, I'll take this and I'll, let's see what, how that feels like, or I'll go over here and I'll take that method or approach and I'll see what that feels like. But then understanding that your your purpose and meaning comes through your actions or how you represent yourself in the world. It's like if I want to do something, if I want to have purpose and meaning about something, then I've got to put purpose and meaning on that. That essentially the world is is completely chaotic and there is no purpose and meaning to it. It's only what I put on it that that I get something, derive some purpose and meaning out of that action. The way that it doesn't, it's not something that comes to me. It's something that's internal to me through my actions that, okay, if I make my life about something, if I make my life about helping people, um, then that provides me purpose and meaning. It's not by, it's not something that comes to you. I think it's this whole thing about, you have to go round to back to home again. Don't you, you start off uh, and you're probably actually, you know, when you're young, you you have all this purpose and meaning, and then you you sort of lose it all, and eventually you come full circle, and you come back around to it again, uh, and just realise that everything's just it's just an internal process. Um, there's nothing external there that that can help you with it. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me, and I'll yeah. see <laughs> to the listeners. But in terms of you using ACT as the acronym now, 
Mm-hmm. How, how does it differ from, say, the likes of, say, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and oh, what's the other one? D, D, DPD, I can't remember what the D is. DPT, uh, dialectic behavior therapy. Yeah, well, how, I don't well, know how much about it. really differ. I think, well, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, so ACT is like the third wave of CBT, really. So they build on each other. So DBT builds on CBT at the same time. I don't know much about CBT, so I'm not really going to go into it to explain it. But I think a lot of the difference between CBT and ACT is that in CBT, there's a lot of kind of let's look at our thoughts and do a hypothesis around it and work out what's true and, and things like that. Whereas ACT doesn't do that. ACT just basically looks at thoughts as thoughts. They, are just, they, they have no objective meaning or, or purpose. It's just the thought that comes up. And I can choose to identify with that thought if I really, really want to. I mean, it could be a helpful thought for me. So it's like, okay, well, it might be a helpful thought that I wake up in the morning and think, I don't want to procrastinate today. I'm going to go and I want to do something. So that's a helpful thought for it. It's probably an unhelpful thought for me to wake up in the morning and go, there's, you know, be very nihilistic and there's no purpose, meaning in life. And I might as well just stay in bed all day and um, allow, you know, allow life to unfold. That's really not going to help me that much in, in terms of um, getting me to where I want to be. It also, it could be completely true. I mean, we could wake up in the morning and understand that life is pretty nihilistic and, that's a pretty true thought, but again, it doesn't really help me that much. So really, I think the difference between CBT and ACT is just this, uh, this um, uh, acceptance that thoughts are just thoughts and that we don't spend too much time in ACT really trying to, to overanalyze them or come up with some sort of hypothesis about them. We just notice them and say, okay, is that, is that helpful for you? Yeah. Does it, is it really, you know, it's a thought. It might be based on some sort of um, fear or belief system that you have. Um, is it helping you? Great. If it's helping you, then we're going to go with that thought and we're going to see where that leads. If it's not helping you, then, you know, just understand that it's not helping you and let it go uh, and see whatever else comes up. What's the next thought that comes up in your mind? Um, so we do this practice in act called diffusion where we spend a lot of time trying to put a bit of distance between ourselves and our thoughts. And we do that in lots of different ways. You can do it through meditation, you can do it through writing. Um, you can do it with the process of even just saying your thoughts out in a comical voice, you know, just trying to get you this, this idea that your mind is, is just this thought generation machine. Like your heart is a machine that beats and your mind is just something that's just going to generate thoughts and it's going to generate thoughts all day long. Um, if I allow it to. So over time you just cultivate this ability to see your mind as something, um, separate from your sense of self, which becomes easier than you don't, um, you don't buy into your thoughts so much. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't get hooked. It doesn't mean that I don't spend, like some days when I wake up and I'm in a particularly anxious state or I'm ruminating about the past. And it doesn't mean you still don't get hooked in a thought process that you can't get out of um, uh, without some sort of degree of uh, intention to sort of break the cycle a little bit and sit with it. Um, but it does mean that you're able to, to detach yourself a little bit easier from, uh, from what's going on in your head. Um, and it's very good for things. People like with OCD um, it has really good outcomes for that really good outcomes for anxiety. Um, just understanding that you don't have to, to act on anything that goes on in your head. You can choose to, to act a little bit differently. And in terms of from that, that method you mentioned, Gary, would it be easier, or I'm not going to generalize a little bit, I'll, I use probably myself as the example. Yeah. I do at times overthink or overanalyze things. So would it be better to implement something more along the lines of act as opposed to cognitive behavior therapy where you have to think a little bit deeper and you can overanalyze it in that way? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you have to use whatever works for you, yeah? 
So um, for some people, CBT works really, really well. Um, and it has some form. I think any talking therapy or talking approach works. Any kind of organizing structure that you, you resonates with you works. Yeah. Um, so, but I think it's much better not to, to sit and overanalyze your thoughts too much because you can get caught in that. You know, it's the, um, you just get caught on this train and you don't even know where that train's leaving, uh, where it's going to go. Um, and we can just then, you know, once we get caught in that thought, we then just end up telling ourselves a story about that thought. Um, and then everything becomes objectionably true based on that story. And, you know, then we're in this, this separate space that we didn't realize we're going to end up in, which may be we're anxiety, we're in an anxiety state and we're reaching for drugs or alcohol to try and uh, change that. Or we're reaching for a behavior that keeps us stuck in the short term, but gives us some form of short term relief around our anxiety. Um, which again, you know, might be, uh, you, you end up sort of avoiding your emotional experience or you're avoiding your, your thought experience, um, trying to zone out rather than just sitting with them and seeing that, that they're there. But if you sat down logically and rationally and thought of to, to, into the process of taking alcohol or drugs, well, one is a depressant and one is a, and one is a suppressant. So it's not actually solving anything. No, it's not solving it. No. It just, but it just takes away the pain, doesn't it? For for whatever time it takes, it takes the pain away from it. Um, and yeah, and to be honest with you, um, you know, I had some really great experiences on psychedelics. Um, it wasn't exactly like something, you know. There, there's some drugs in, uh, out there that are really, really great, and uh, there's some out there that are going to kill you straight away. Um, but it was, you know, when I went to that stage of taking a lot of psychedelics, it really was about a search for a sense of self. And in some way it really did help because you kind of resolve your ego and you look at yourself in a new way and you get some perspective on life. Um, but equally you can throw them down your neck and use them as a way to, to escape reality in some way because reality is a little bit more painful for you. Um, so yeah, the short of short term reaching for drugs and alcohol, it's like, well, are you, what are you using it for? Is it, I mean, the thing about act is it's contextual behavioral science. So it's about in this context, is, is it really a problem? So there's a context where um, maybe, you know, you go away for a weekend on a shamanic retreat and you're taking some form of ayahuasca and you find yourself and you come back from that and you live your life and, you know, everything's fine. Well, does it, does it mean that that one event of going to take drugs was, was wrong or was in that context, was it something that's right? But then there's people, there's examples of people that are going out and they're doing this thing every week and they're not really making any progress in their life and that's what they're doing all the time. And in that context, is there, you know, there's something wrong with that. You're not really moving forward. So it's all really about the context you put it in. So if I'm getting up in the morning and I'm, I'm getting high all day, that's really not helping me. Um, if it's in a completely different context, then it, it's something else, isn't it? Um, and I, I, I coach a lot of people that are trying to give up alcohol. Um, because I don't drink um, anymore. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have a kind of this relationship with it where, you know, this, what I'm saying to people is that you don't have to give up alcohol. You can drink as much, as little as you like. It really is, depends on the context that you're doing it in. So if it's becoming something you do it just to numb out and, and avoid your feelings and not take any action, then, then it's obviously a problem. Um, if you're, you know, you go three months without drinking, then you have a night on the drink is that really a big problem for you? Is that a massive issue? Why are you beating yourself up for it? Why are you having all these guilt feelings about it? Why are you having all these unhelpful thoughts about it? Um, you know, just accept that, okay, well, maybe every three months I have a drink. And is that a big problem for you in the context of, of your life? So I think, where are we going with that? 
I think ACT just makes life a little bit easier in terms of you don't spend so much time um, kind of beating yourself up too much anymore. Um, you just have to look at your behavior in the context that it's happening in. Um, and is, is that behavior taking you away from what you want for your life to be about? Or is it taking you towards what you want your life to be about? And if it's taking it away, then, then you've got your choice of, well, do I start a new behavior? Um, do I change something else? So it just really gives you this kind of sense of flexibility in, your, um, uh, in the way that you approach life, that you're a bit more flexible in, in the way that you want to pick things up or drop them. Um, and you're a little bit more self-forgiving, I think, than you, than you probably have been in the past with yourself. And you mentioned very at the very start of the episode, Gary, that you had a, obviously a bereavement with your father dying. Mm-hmm. Do you think, in your opinion, that is, if you contextualise it, is it the worst form of trauma that you could have? Or, or how somebody perceives a trauma going to come down to them, how they deal with it? Yeah, no, it's a good question, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, for me... It, it became a story of the way that I live my life more than anything. So, I mean, any kind of trauma gives you, gives you a couple of things, doesn't it? Um, it gives you, it, it can give you a lot of positives. It gives you a lot of resilience. It, it gave me a lot of, um, it gave me a kind of a, 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 a drive to find out to live life. You know, it kind of gave me a drive to, to realize that, you know, life isn't for, for wasting that, that everything that you have can be taken away from you in an instant. And, um, and I think at nine years old, you're just at that key developmental stage where, you know, l- the world is losing its magic um, at that stage, isn't it? That's the stage that we start to, sorry if there's any nine-year-olds listening, but, you know, you start to sort of lose the belief in Santa Claus and you start to see the, the world isn't magical. It's actually quite, there's quite a lot of reality around there. So I think when that happened, for me, it was kind of like um, I kind of suddenly realized very quickly that life kicked me up the backside. Um, you know, at that age, and it was there's a there was a certain amount of harsh reality to it, um, which then kept me locked in in a lot of fear. So I can I looked at that event through the eyes of fear and the eyes of like, well, everything can be taken away from you. You can lose everything in an instant. So what's the point? You know, become very nihilistic about it, doesn't it? It's like, well, why bother doing anything because it can all be taken away from you? Why bother having relationships with people because? You know, they're just going to leave anyway, whether or not they, you know, they leave intentionally or whether they leave because they die or something happens. It's just all going to be go away. And you kind of just shut yourself down and protect yourself from, from all of that. Um, so it was more the story that I'd created around that event that, that it became an excuse for, for who I am and, and how, where I've gone in my life. You know, it became an excuse for why I've never succeeded. It became an excuse for why my relationships are like they are. Um, it, but, I can view it a different way. I can look at it and say, well, actually it um, gave me a lot of strength. It gave me a lot of resilience. Um, it gave me the ability really just to, to see life in a different way um, than, than I see it now. Um, it gave me the, the ability to, um, uh, to really be aware of my mortality, that, which I think um, not a lot of people have a, have a big awareness of that, that, you know, that it can be completely over in an instant. Um, and your life can change in an instant. Um, I don't find a lot of people that have a, a kind of real sense of understanding of that, of that, um, of that key thing, because you don't really learn that until later on. I mean, you, you lose people in life, but when you lose somebody so young, um, it becomes uh, something that, that just completely changes your worldview overnight. Um, and 
it's kind of like your worst fear, isn't it? When you're a kid, your worst fear is you're always, you're going to lose a parent that they're not going to be around. Uh, and then your worst fear comes true. And then you can start, start to think, well, okay, if my worst fear come true, that all my fears can come true. Um, but then I think through the process of, of using acceptance and commitment training, I just kind of got to the stage that I can see my fears and things like that. They are, they're just their thoughts and they don't really come true or, 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 or not. They just, you know, nobody kind of has lived the future they've imagined for themselves. Um, we've never really kind of, you know, you, you, you plan out this future in your head, but it never really pans out that way. You know, what I do, my future for tomorrow won't be the same as my future for um, the next day or the next day after that. It will, I'll never. So instead of doing that, the much better way is just allow it to unfold uh, and accept that, it, that things happen and life is a bit messy and chaotic. Um, and I can't really do much about that. Um, so the big, there's a big acceptance part in, um, in act, uh, and just coming to terms with the way that, that life is, I think more than anything. I mean, yourself, you know, I mean, life has dealt you a hand that, as, as well, hasn't it? Um, and you can fight it and you can resist it or you can just accept it. Well, I would probably have the, have the, the as you, as you mentioned, I'll probably go into it, but in, in terms of the, the adverse situation that you see, I think it's a perception that other people put on my, on myself. Yes, you've mm-hmm. overcome an adverse situation with it growing up with a disability, but I never saw that in, in, in that light. I was more, how I put it, being ev- adaptable to the environment. It's like, well, I want to be able yeah. to do everything like everybody else. I don't want to be treated to a certain extent any differently than anybody else. I know I'm, I know I'm different, but let's, let's be as close to able-bodied as I can. Mm. I people feel sorry for me. Okay, there's, there's going to be that rare occasion, rare occasion where that probably has happened, and it probably mm. happens more as an adult. Is thinking, oh, you are, oh, um, oh, I would this without being non-PC. Um, you're going to get that kind of uh, no. Don't, don't don't worry about being PC. In a certain extent. <laughs> how you're going to interpret how somebody means something, be it coming from, is it empathy? Is it mm-hmm. um, uh, inspirational, motivational, what you're doing? You're thinking, mm-hmm. come on, take a step back. What I've, yeah. what, what I've achieved is, t- to me, yeah. it's no big deal. I, I know people like to say, well, okay, do, competing at a national level to the, to, uh, to the standards that I did, is exceptional, but mm. I think athletes think like that anyway. It's like, well, yeah. you don't live in the moment. That's that, I think that's the only bad thing about most athletes. There probably are some that do. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't live in the here and now. You've got mm-hmm. to be in that sense of I need to look in the future. I got to keep moving forward, mm-hmm. and I think that's for, probably from a certain extent, it's probably a good thing because. You don't dwell most of the time on stuff that went wrong. You kind yeah. of you kind of analyze it from whatever analytical form that you've got, be it visualization, the actual mm-hmm. computer screen in front of you, and dissect what you've done right, what you've done wrong. Mm-hmm. Boom, we've done that. Let's move on. Let's put it. Let's put it into practice tomorrow. Yeah or that same day as you're watching it to get better and you move on. Mm. And, and mm. I think 
maybe because I retired and I thought on my terms, mm-hmm. maybe I didn't, maybe I wasn't accepting of, okay, this is another stage in my life mm-hmm. and I've not fully come to terms with it. I come to terms with not viewing success as how I perceived it when I started out and throughout my career to when I finished, that mm-hmm. I was, the, 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 the relationship to that is night and day. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. My perception of it now is probably a better one. Of mm-hmm. That's this, this shooting for the stars. Yes, all, it's all well and good. But if you don't get there, mm-hmm. you've at least, well, how would you put it? Shoot for the moon if you reach the stars, I think is a, is a better way of looking at it because it's, it's a little bit more positive and you have moved forward because, quote, unquote, you've left planet Earth. So, yeah. so you have, you have re- reached a form of success, but your perception of it is, is, is probably a little bit um, more probably realistic as opposed to op- optimistic trying to shoot for something that's in some cases is unattainable. Okay. Mm-hmm. Getting a gold medal is, is not unattainable, mm-hmm. but not everybody can do it. So it's like, well, okay. It, it, I wasn't able to achieve it. I'll put some scope on it. If if I if it what if I had, could, would it have changed me as an individual, possibly? But then on the other flip side of that, if it was that easy to do, mm-hmm. everybody would be doing it, and then there wouldn't be any point to doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just interesting this this idea about perception of it because just as you were talking about. It, then I was thinking about my own experience of my my father is the same thing. It says I had a, it's like people devalue it in some way because everybody knows what they they would rather have. Yeah? Everybody's like, oh yeah, but I, you know, it's much better if your father dies at nine years old, isn't it? Rather than you know dying when you're forty six, it's like, well, actually, it doesn't really matter what what age he dies at. You know, you lose somebody that you're very close to. But it was just something that happened and. I don't think I ever, my perception of it was that it just happened. And then I think after that is my perception of, of, of this complete loss that you have because every day, I mean, it doesn't change. I mean, my, my partner for Christmas bought me a, um, uh, a little picture of the church that my father's buried at. Um, and not bought me, but got a, a, um, a postcard of it, put it in a frame and, you know, I opened it and it was hugely moving for me and I broke down in tears as soon as I saw it. And it's like, I said to her, it's like, wow, 46, uh, well, 30 odd year, eight years. And I'm still sort of coming to terms with it. That every single day is still exactly the same. I still get up every single day and go, oh, look, I'm in a world where I don't have my father anymore. You know, this, this is the, this is the world that I inhabit. This is, this is my perception of it. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm viewing the world through this, this world where this person that I want to be there is not there anymore. Um, and, uh, and it's, it just doesn't go away it's not something that's ever going to go away and I can't get rid of it. And I spent so long trying to get rid of it that the only way I could somehow get rid of it was just to just understand that it's there and that I can't do much with it. I can only, you know, just keep operating and um, wake up and say, right, what am I going to make my life about today? Because I've been in through those depressive stages and spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in therapy and depression and on um, antidepressants to try and, 
sort of numb it all out, but it just didn't didn't work. So I don't know if there's any kind of parallels with your experience, but it's just for me, it's just that the perception is like, well, that is how life is, and um, I can't change that. I can only just do something different um, today than I did yesterday. But Gary, did it come down to this notion? And obviously, I've had anxiety myself more recently. <laughs> do you think that it's we need to have a kind of total mental shift as how we perceive anxiety, depression, stress? Yeah. Um, oh God, I can't think of the one you mentioned. Uh, in terms of anything that we perceive as neg or, or in a negative light, we need to kind of flip the switch mm-hmm. and look at it. Well, well anxiety is not a bad thing, especially for no. especially if you put it into the context of from, from an athlete perspective. They will look at it, and how I learned of it at university from a sports science background is it's an arousal state. So you don't. That's kind of a different outlook on it the yeah. curve because when i was presented with it from an uh, the sheet from an anxiety perspective you're thinking well, i've seen that curve before it's just it had a different name for it so you're thinking yeah. on the one hand it's anxiety which most people perceive as bad yeah. but then when i was taught at university it's an arousal curve which technically is looking at it more from a positive light would say excitement joy and things like that so it's gonna, the curve is not the same yeah, uh, physiological response. If you if you if you actually really was aware of the situation and you looked at well, I, when I'm feeling, um, we'll come from the positive way from mm-hmm. to start with. But if you feel joy, excitement, you take note of that. Mm-hmm. And then when you feel like crap, note it again. Yeah, and write down the experiences that you had so you can actually compare the two and say well. Physiologically, I feel exactly the same. So it's, yeah. I think it comes down to that perception. It's, it's, it's that perception of it, and uh, yeah, and I think we have to change. And that's a lot of what ACT does, and I think um, you know the other th- kind of third way therapy do uh, do is kind of they they allow you to look at it a different way because you're right. It's just an arousal state, and whether I'm excited or anxious depends on my label on on that arousal state. Um, and anxiety really is just fear of the un- unknown. It's like, and it's natural to fear. You know, to be have fear in in a circumstances where there's an unknown outcome, of course that's going to happen. So it's natural to have that fear about it. Um, but and I think what happens more and more is that if we're in that, if we then label it as this is a bad, this is a bad emotion, or this is a bad feeling, or I'm anxious about this, and we then stay in it and we try to get rid of it, or we resist it and avoid it then it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and becomes really overwhelming until such a stage that I have to do something to, to get rid of it. And I can either do something where I just, I hold it away from myself and say, right, I'm going to hold it over here. I'm not even going to turn and look at it because if I put it over there, it doesn't exist anymore. But over time, my arm, if I'm holding it like this over the time, my arm's going to get tired and I get that emotional washout from that. I can allow it to be here, can't I? And I can like, but then I can't operate in the world with it. If I see it, if it's right in front of me, I'm like, well, I can't talk to you anymore because it's right here. It's right up again. Or I can just allow it to be there and look at it and just go, oh, look, there's all these feelings that I have. Um, there's all this sensation I've got in my body. There's this sensation I've got in my pit in my stomach. It doesn't really mean anything or it's got no purpose apart from just to warn me about something. And I could, it could warn me about something useful. Or it could be just that I'm feeling anxious. I've just woken up in a day. And my experience of that event 
I've realized now just I'm in a constant, more or less a constant state of anxiety and a constant state of, um, you know, just being slightly down and it's, uh, and then waking up in the morning is just, is not putting any labels around that and just go, okay, well, I've woken up anxious this morning. Um, it doesn't mean I have to go reach for drugs and alcohol to stop that. Um, or it doesn't mean that I just stay in bed or it means I just get up and I do some, um, I do my, my actions that I need to get on with the day. And I think the there is a change within the mental health sphere of, of looking at mental health issues and anxiety and depression in a completely different way. There's been a lot of, of like medicating it uh, away rather than just sitting with it and just saying, okay, yeah, you've got some negative feelings. Um, let's just take a look at them. And what do you, what do you mean by what, what does that mean for you having those negative th- th- feelings? What kind of stories are you starting to create off that? Um, you know, there's just this fear that we're just going to end up like this all the time. So we end up um, trying to avoid it all the time, whereas you just got to live with it um, and, and see it for what it is. It's just a feeling. So I'm sure when you get anxious before a performance, it's a, it's a thing that you go through and eventually if you, if you resist it, then it, it builds. But if you just allow it to be, then accept it. There comes a point that you go, I've experienced it and it's gone now. I'm just going to start performing or I'm going to start um, competing. Um, I think I, I that analogy that you use, I think for me specifically, I think it's come down to that perception as how I viewed anxiety as an athlete and as a regular person in society, I viewed it as two different things. I think I've yeah. probably gone back to uh, how I viewed things as an athlete because most of that was positive in the past. <laughs> or if most people, you, you wouldn't want to go in, into the past to, to find a solution, whereas I, mm-hmm. I'm able to do that. So I, I think the notion of, you don't I think as in an athletic environment you're not going to per se push it away you are mm-hmm. anxious you've got the butterflies going mm-hmm. and the, the the example I'm going to use that springs to mind was I was competing on my 21st birthday but I was that so you could say stressed or worried about what the outcome was going to be of of that of that rowing event that day. Uh, wasn't able to eat very much, which is mm-hmm. normal. Yeah. Uh, got down to the actual set training center, not training center, London Regatta Center, where we were going to compete that day. Mm-hmm. People were saying, "Oh, happy birthday!" <laughs> oh, yeah, it's my birthday. I've completely forgotten. <laughs> You, you, you forget something as um, well. You could put, say, precious and and and, and term it like that. Oh, 20, I'm not going to be 21 ever again. And you think, yeah. and I, because of the state that I was in mentally, I was not able to think. Well, to some extent, it's a good thing because I wasn't thinking all about me, but. You're thinking, oh yeah, it's my birthday. It's just mm-hmm. it, because you were to fearful to a certain extent because you're not able to eat. So are you going to be in an optimal state to be able to perform because you haven't got the necessary um, energy stores in there? That's probably mm-hmm. where I was. Going. I probably wasn't delving as deep as that on that day. 
uh, and obviously my mum was there as well. So we're more of conscious of the here and now, and it just mm-hmm. happens to be my birthday. But when the teammates said, oh, happy birthday, I can, oh, yeah, it is. So I, and I think that probably calmed me down. Okay, it's you, you, talk, you talked about thoughts, so it's probably yeah. shifts from that sense of angst to, okay, yeah, it is my birthday. It's something to be uh, excited about. So it's probably that mm-hmm. shift. It's just that simple switch. As, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go from what is perceived as negative yeah. to something that's positive. And then, mm-hmm. and you, and you can, and you kind of go from that. So you're thinking that's that's something simple, and and it, it comes down to that notion. Well, I say it's as simple as that, but you, if you can attach something like a positive memory or a happy memory to mm-hmm. that particular mo- moment in time where you feel like crap, mm-hmm. it helps because you have that shit. I think I did it quite recently just to try it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, why am I stressed dropping off this parcel that's being dropped off at the wrong address? Yeah. And I thought of, I can't remember what it was, and just mm-hmm. the sensation of going from what is described as a negative state to that of positive. It just, you mm-hmm. feel more that warmth. It's kind of a, it's like a yeah. weird sensation to explain, but you're thinking, well, nothing's really changed. I'm just thinking a bit more positively. Yeah, no, I've just changed the way that I'm viewing. I'm, I'm taking on a new perspective, which is the the beauty of of acceptance and commitment training. Is it just gives you this this psychological flexibility of able to to do those switches. And like I said, sometimes those switches still take time. I mean, sometimes it, you know you're in a very simple example of that where I'm I'm in an anxious state because I'm dropping off a parcel and I've got things wrong. And, you know, that's quite a simple thing that we can probably unhook ourselves from quite quickly. Um, but if I'm in a state of existential angst about what my I want my life to be about, um, then that's going to take a bit of time for me to work through. Um, and it's something that might go away and come back, and it might go away and come back. And I think um, the thing that ACT gives you is this ability that, that to, to say, okay, well, I might be struggling with this right now, but if I can take a slightly different perspective of it, if I can just step outside myself a little bit and view this from a different um, uh, way, then I'll get some insight on it, and then it might it will rise come back and go away it doesn't mean that like half an hour later it might just come back again um as well but it just allows you this ability just to to take a new perspective on things um and see yourself in a new in a different way than you did before um and i think the the best thing about for me about act is just that it just ends up um helping me just live a life that's a, a lot more kind of calm and peaceful than it was before um, without um, too much struggle anymore so yeah it's a uh, it's just perspective taking like you say it's a very um, it's a very good skill to have but not a lot of people have the ability to take perspective really really well um, you know we're kind of locked into our own sort of way of viewing the world and to try and take a different perspective means that we have to then somehow un- unpick the stories we're telling ourselves and the way out the story becomes you know, any way out of our story of why we're anxious or our story of why we're kept in fear, we're locked in or the way where we are in life, any way out of that story invalidates the story and then it sense, invalidates a sense of who we are. So that is quite fear producing as well. That's, that's, that's anxiety in itself, just about that process of 
well, hold on a second, I need to step outside myself here. And if I step outside myself, it may mean I'm going to have to lose a part of myself, I, the way I viewed, viewed myself before, that I was this anxious person and now I'm not. I came to this, this, this point because of a, a set of self-beliefs I have and now I've stepped outside myself and all those beliefs are not true anymore. And that some, somehow says something about ourselves that we have to lose at the same time. Yeah, yeah but that's all perception as well because if you actually take a step back and looked at... I'm going to say in a simple terms, you do it anyway, be it mm-hmm. you may read a book, well, that's stepping yeah. away and going into a parallel, well, I'll, I'll coin it as a parallel universe. You're, you're wanting to step away and yeah. go into an environment that is, well, depending on what kind of book it is, it's going to be different from reality. Um, you talked about drinking drugs, that's mm-hmm. another state. Uh, watching movies, films, watching the television, yeah, disconnect. So I think that ideology that people think is difficult, we do it every day. It's just yeah, we do it every day. Yeah, perception you don't believe you 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 are probably put put or if you're putting it into the context of say med- meditation and act, you're overcomplicating because you, if you actually thought rationally and logically which I don't think most people will do. You're not going to analyze what you do on a day-to-day basis on most of those things are mundane tasks, mm-hmm. but you already are doing it anyway. Yeah, but I like the point that you said that we do it every day and we do, we have the skills. I mean, that's, so just to draw a parallel between yourself as an athlete. So you said, you know, I have anxiety as an athlete, but I'm able to deal with that. But then I had anxiety and as a non-athlete and that was quite, um, I wasn't able to do with that, but it, but it, when you put your athlete head on, when you put your role on as an athlete, you're able to deal with that anxiety. So, you know, what's changed between that, that your role as an athlete and this point now where, where you can't deal with it because somehow something's different. Nothing's really changed in, in your sense of self. It's just the way you're, you're viewing it and viewing it in a completely different way. So that, so, but stepping outside yourself and viewing it in a different way is actually quite difficult for people to do, um, to see themselves in a different way. Cause it, when you're in the story and you're part of the story and you're part of the system, it's very difficult for you to sort of move, move away from it and see yourself in a completely different light. And some point of seeing yourself in a completely different light does mean that you're probably going to have to lose some form of sense of identity about yourself, that you're going to have to lose some part of the way that you viewed yourself either positively or negatively. And if you're living in a, um, and if that, that way of viewing yourself has been the way that you viewed yourself for your entire life, it's very comfort producing. You know, you know, I don't want to view myself anyway because I've just told my story about how, how, how I am. And that gives me a load of warm feelings, even if my life's quite bad or terrible and it's, you know, I'm stuck in the mud and I can't get out. Operating that way is the only way I know, uh, I know to operate. And it's at some level it's comforting. And stepping outside yourself is difficult to do that. But we do it all the time, which is the paradox of it. We have all lots of experience in our life where we've got the skills to do this and we do it in lots of other areas, just in some areas of life we can't seem to break free and get uh, get around it. In, in a particular context, it becomes something that's a bit too overwhelming for us to manage. Then do you think, Gary, and I'm going to use this quote from Dr. Rob Bell, mm-hmm. do you think it comes down to for certain individuals, they perceive it as a... Well, he doesn't like to agree with this. People perceive it as a lack of confidence as opposed to what really is a few thought of it. And I like this quote that he uses. 
you lose your keys. You don't lack your keys. Uh, so I yeah. think people are disillusioned to, oh, I lose confidence. I lose self-esteem. I, yeah. They put the the actual point in time on, I've lacked confidence, but really you haven't. Do you, do you think it, it comes down to a sense where people become anxious and kind of overwhelmed with anxiety because mm-hmm. they've kind of some degree lost themselves because as you put it earlier in the episode, we kind of don't look at things in a, a magical way. You don't, you kind of lose that inner belief. So to yeah. speak, from yeah. a childhood, do you think that's kind of, of a vicious slope for some individuals because it's only inevitable that at one time or another mm-hmm. they're going to come anxious because they've kind of less, uh, left sorry, their core beliefs at a young age. Yeah, maybe. I, I think I'd also like the analogy of that you don't... I mean, you lose your keys, don't you? You don't lack them. Um, and for some people, it becomes a... a process of that they just get locked into the anxiety that they can't get out they can't see a way out of it um they can't see how they've got the skills to do it um and this this idea that you have a lack of confidence you don't really have a lack of confidence because what is confidence you can't hold it in my hand it's not something i can have is it how can i lack it it's like i don't i can't get more of it i can't go out and grab it it's confidence for is just the process of doing something time and time and time again until such a stage that you go oh well i've got that now um uh i for me public speaking is not a i mean i like public speaking I, i've done a lot of presentations in my life and i've done a lot of big presentations um in lots of different jobs that i've done and i don't really mind public speaking i can get up and do it i don't get anxious about it i get a little bit of performance anxiety which is normal normal but even at the start i, I didn't um get a lot of confidence i didn't lack any confidence about um uh, public speaking but um in some contexts, I do get really anxious about. Um, so if I'm going to do a group training, um, that for me is massively anxiety producing and because it actually it means more to me, I think, more than anything. And I can go and I have a lot of confidence issues about that. I have a lot of confidence issues about being a, a life coach. I have a lot of confidence issues about doing this job um, because it's really, it's really, really, it's not really difficult, but it's really you're holding somebody's life in your hands. And, you know, I had a lot of feelings of that. I'm not good enough. I mean, who am I to sit here and tell you how to live your life? I mean, I really tell people how to live their lives, but who am I to sit here and coach you through a process to, to, to actually give you some insight and, and tell you how to, to get your life together. When for a lot of my life, I never really had it together. And really do I have it together now sometimes? So there's a lot of sort of angst and, and fear about that. Um, and it's only by doing it time and time again and getting into it that I actually realize now that, okay, this is something I can do and it's something that I should have been doing a long time, but it's taken me a long time to get this stage that I've got the confidence to be a, be a coach. Um, and it's only I've got that confidence by just going, right, I've got to overcome these fears and anxieties and just go out and do it and start doing it and take action and start coaching people and see where it goes. Um, but in some areas of life, you know, confidence abounds and you just go out and do it because you don't really sit, you don't really have that perspective or, or, or viewpoint on it that it's not really a problem for us in, in some areas of our life. We can be really, really confident about things. 
Um, so we have all the skills to do it, but we just don't apply it consistently in every single pe- uh, point of our life. Does that make sense? I felt a little bit rambly, but that makes sense to me. <laughs> but in, but in terms of you mentioned that you don't feel adequate enough to be able to do your job. I don't I don't think that's fair because if you've had the experience of living through a traumatic experience, that's first hand experience. So you are once you are able to be probably account first of all accountable to yourself that okay mm-hmm. I do have a, I do have this problem I need to, to resolve it. You kind of put you've you put the systems in place yourself. So you were kind of the guiding light for when I, I, I like to use that that example that I said in, in the episode in terms of you having to deal with the bereavement. Well, that's the first, uh, that's the worst form of fear. Yeah, you can't, um, I think Martin Lewis said on the BBC well, be a couple of months ago now in terms of when he lost his mother, it was kind of the guiding light for him to go. Well, I've had this happen in my life. Mm-hmm everything else is 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 nothing it's it's i can kind of go full steam ahead yeah i'm never going to have an adverse situation as bad as that ever so it's kind of looking at it from as you put it probably it's a positive in in some degree because well nothing nothing can ever hurt me as much as that can do moving forward so i think it's it's a good uh, perception of looking at something for mm-hmm. hurtful in in an optimistic way, but I think he also coined it as well. He probably lost a sense of himself because he wasn't probably able to. And I'm not going to try and put words in his mouth, but I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Probably not be able to grieve as much as he did like to, so he'd probably not fully come to terms with it, but mm-hmm. made him successful because. The, the the goal and the result he wanted to attain is like well nothing's going to get in my way in terms of fear people because I'm I've been hurt to the most extreme losing a loved one so bang mm-hmm. I think that sentiment probably echoes with me because oh gosh I lost my grandmother about well I'll be about fifteen sixteen mm-hmm. and my goal was to be an elite athlete from from a child and probably lots of people listening to this episode can can um, probably see some form of that notion in themselves or well, I want to attain mm-hmm. high levels of sport high levels of success within within a job environment but kind of lose their way whereas mm-hmm. I think me as I reflect on it probably more recently you're thinking maybe that was the extra factor that I needed. I wanted to be able to not do it just for myself, mm-hmm. but to do it for her as well to, to be, and as I think of it, kind of quite emotional in terms mm-hmm. of talking about it, but to be able to be driven to, to kind of, well, she'd seen some of the success in the early days. She's not going to be able to see what I achieved in later life but you're thinking to be able to have done that well maybe maybe she's looking down and has seen mm. the successes and and you kind of be able to well I don't know how, how to put it into words but your 
in a sense, doing it for a higher purpose. Okay, they were. They, I'm not saying I did it because she died, and I wanted to put into into practice. And she's quite a strong woman in terms of if you set out to do something. That's probably the, the old way, old school way of thinking for that generation. Mm-hmm. They're generally going to do it no matter no matter what, whatever the hardship. Okay, we've been dealt this hand. Okay do it anyway whereas mm-hmm. i think i was probably taught that took mm-hmm. the values on board and and went and did it it's like well if you think i can't do it okay mm-hmm. you've got nothing nothing coming and i think that's maybe where i've lost a little bit of myself by mm-hmm. things have not worked out had a little bit of that victim mentality mm-hmm. that the quote-unquote the world owes me something because i attained yeah success in a, in, a, in a different light whereas I think when I'm actually at the stage I'm at now thinking well the world don't owe me anything yeah uh, most people outside of my inner circle could care less if I f- fail or succeed mm-hmm. and I think when you actually look at it as into that sense of black and white Mm-hmm. I think you can be a little bit more realistic. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I yeah, think. exactly. I'm going to count it and do it anyway. Yeah. And I think with my own experience of like doing the work I do now, um, yeah, it's, it, I got to the stage that it'd be, it, you know, I wanted to do this work for so long. I thought I was going to be a therapist for a long time, actually. Um, and, you know, and I believe that good coaching, um, the kind of coaching I do actually comes from good therapy. And, um, and I had the, the thing about therapy or any kind of coaching process or becoming a, a life coach is that you really got to go away and examine yourself first before you can go do, do the work. You know, you've got to really, at some level, like you said, I've gone through the process of, right, hold on a second. I had a trauma. It's kept me stuck. I've got to really go look at that trauma and I've really got to go look at myself and how that has affected me so that in some way I can guide somebody else through the process. And I think that's the scary thing about it more than anything else was about hold on a second it's not about being better than my clients but at some level i've got to have gone through the experience myself and, and looked at myself and that was the thing that that i had a lot didn't have a lot of confidence about but also just had a lot of not feeling good enough type feelings um and which is a common thing for therapists and and, and coaches i think um of just not feeling good enough and not feeling you know good enough to be able to do this work but um, gary you meant you mentioned in that but shouldn't you question that straight off the bat in terms of well, I I don't think I'm good enough. Yeah. You should check yourself in terms of well, is that really true? Do I believe? Yeah, no, yeah, no. Do I believe? No. And the thing is, is that I spend, you know, the not feeling good enough feeling has been there for the entire era of my life. And the only way I got over that was by writing down every day. I believe in myself. Yeah? I am good enough. Um, you know, I am good enough to be where I am. I'm good enough to do this. And, you know, you end up trying, I think a lot of my actions up until this, uh, up until sort of now in my life where I've tried on these identities, other identities of trying to be somebody else was about trying to prove to other people that I'm good enough, that I'm good enough to be who I am. But essentially you've just got to, it's not even about proving it to yourself. It's just about having, just waking up and realize that, oh, actually you are good enough. And at some level, you are, and it, that that is it. You are just good enough. You know, you don't have to be, 
yeah, I think I can't remember which psychologist said it, um, but about being a parent, you know, that a lot of people have a lot of angst about being a parent. I'm a good mother. I'm a good father. Actually, you're probably good enough. Yeah. You don't actually have to be this, this stunningly um, perfect perfect person because what does that actually mean? You know, um, and I spent a lot of time just trying to gain knowledge about doing this job rather than just going out and doing it and just saying, right, I've spent all my life um, acquiring this knowledge about self-identity, self-actualization, how do you overcome your fears, how do you overcome your anxiety? Um, and it wasn't until I actually started doing it myself and this is where confidence comes from, doesn't it? The confidence comes from, right, I'm doing this thing every day. I'm doing these actions every day. It comes from the past of, of all those actions. That you then go, all oh, right, that works. It's actually, it's a process that works. And now I'm confident enough to teach to other people because I've actually applied it to my life in a way that, um, that works for myself. And how that works for somebody else is really up to them. I mean, I can only just show you the tools and say, this is how it works for me. I don't know how it's going to work for you. You've just got to go out and try it and see what happens um and that's the that's where i've, I've got to now um but it took like 46 years to get to that point uh, it's not it wasn't like an easy journey and if i could go back and do it again you know i would do it completely differently i would it would be a, a case of yeah just practice these tools of, of diffusion practice these tools of acceptance practice these tools of really working out what your values are and taking action based on them, even if you don't feel like it. Um, and that's essentially what act comes down to. It's just acting. Uh, that's where it gets you can go a step further than that as well, Gary, in terms of being vulnerable, um, being transparent with people. Mm -hmm. Because I think, and I definitely did it in the past, you put up this optical illusion where you put out, be it as a coach, or as an individual, you're putting out people, putting out stuff that you want people to perceive of you, or mm -hmm. it's not always true. Be it, yeah. I'll use the, the the example of social media. Yeah. Most of that stuff that's put out there is like, well, that's not you. Yeah, exactly. That's you maybe, if we were actually honest with ourselves it's like well maybe 50 percent of the time 50 even, the time, even that <laughs> not even that so i think it's the you're not make you're not showing the true your true self by doing that it doesn't mm -hmm. help anybody else and mm -hmm. this is where we get into this state now where we're at where everybody and everyone is comparing themselves to in a sense perfection yeah and it doesn't exist it's Does like, exist? it's 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 i think I, I make it sound as easy as this but if you actually actually took a step back and actually looked at it it's probably that simple it, it's people are wanting to get acceptance from in a sense random people Mm -hmm. which social media is whereas and you mentioned it it comes back to you it's what, what yeah. do you think of yourself yeah and what I, do you think of yourself yeah it's okay it's very i make it sound easier than it probably is it's going to take time mm -hmm. for you to be at one with yourself be being able to step back and and, and be accepting that 
you may lose something, but that's that's a fear in itself. Uh, mm. I think I think when you're actually able to look at it, probably logically and and rationally, and say, well, am I really going to lose? Be it someone, uh, a perspective myself, um, and looking at it in that light, like, well, you're going to be more accepting. The comp- I think that's where it's come from me. Mm-hmm. I had that outward perception that I needed to tell, help everyone around me, but that took something away from me. I wasn't actually looking after number one. It's I mm-hmm. think this from a psychological perspective is maybe where people don't want to go. It's you know that's um, being selfish and self righteous, thinking well to a certain extent, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say go out for, as an as a young athlete. I was very like that. I was very driven. It was my way or the highway. Whereas I wouldn't say go to those extremes because I I I I don't believe in those values as, as now because it's you're only gonna isolate yourself further because most people won't like you as that character. So I think it's a fine balance between the two. Yes. You need to have an empathy towards other people, but first and foremost, you need to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, taking care of yourself is the. Um, I, you can always make the selfish choice. Yeah, this is what something I tell my daughter as well. Sometimes that's like, I said, it's okay to make a selfish choice. It's okay to to focus on yourself. It's okay to make that choice. You've just got to understand that you're making that choice and do it in such a way that, you know, it doesn't incur as much harm on other people. Um, She made a selfish choice over summer and it caused a lot of harm to to me and and the situation I was in. And, you know, when I had the discussion with her about it, it it's like, well, why did you do that? You know, why did you make that choice that, you know, it's, it's okay to, it's okay to make that choice, but you've just got to make it right at some level. You've got to come back to me and say, hey, this is my choice, Dad. And I can see that's going to affect you. How do I make this effect right if I can? Yeah, but I want to make this choice. So you can make the I, I, I do believe that you can go out and make selfish choices and look after yourself and look after number one. Um, first and foremost, you've got to take care of yourself before you take care of anything else. And I think just as I'm sort of thinking that out loud, I think that's one of the biggest things that my father's death gave, gave me is that self-reliance of actually I don't rely much on other people which can be quite difficult for me if you're in a relationship with me because i'm like, okay well i can sort this out myself but that also becomes a problem at some level because i go too far into just relying on myself i don't go out and ask for help too much um, so it becomes this kind of spiral rather than something that's that's useful um, so you, you've got to look after number one you've got to look after your own self-care you've got to be in a in the right space to yourself before you can go out and give to to other people um, but uh, it's not something that that becomes something that you can lock yourself into. Become really, you know, it becomes you become selfish. You know, so you can make selfish choices, but it, then you become selfish too much if you keep making those selfish choices all the time. Um, at the same time, you know, you become the person that you're acting, you act to, you know, that you're acting as uh, constantly. But the, the example you used of your daughter, but mm-hmm. isn't it in way of one perspective of looking at it? a good thing for them to on this what I was going to say has kind of slipped my mind now but in mm-hmm. terms of learning as a 
kind of life process learning from the mistakes a good thing because if you don't do it yeah how will you know (laughs) yeah how will you know and i mean to give some context about that i mean she made a choice where she she was meant to come on holiday with us and then at the last minute decided she didn't want to she wanted to spend it with her with her boyfriend but the whole process of doing it was rather than just saying that's what it's about actually i want to spend time with my boyfriend and not spend time with you dad um it became this big thing about i've got all this anxiety about getting on the plane so i just allowed it to play out because i could see that that's what it was about it was actually about you wanted to spend time with your boyfriend you just you know you didn't know how to suddenly break this 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 you you know you think you have an obligation to me as a parent that it's like well i've got to spend time with you now dad because it's you know it's the holidays i've got to spend time with you it's just that kind of this breaking moment that i think children have between being a um suddenly realizing that they you know that you're actually independent and I don't actually have control over your life anymore. Um, and so she made the selfish choice. She wanted to make the selfish choice. I was like, well, you can make the selfish choice. You can look after yourself. You can go do the things that you want your life to be about yourself. You just got to understand that that choice has some form of impact on on other people. Um, and you really don't know what that impact is going to be like. So it was a learning lesson there. She had to go out and and learn how to take action, take some action. But I think this is whole sort of gang about, in a roundabout way this is the whole point of what we're talking about is that you can you've got to go out and act you've got to go out and do something you've got to go out and take action in the world and some of that taking action in the world may end up mean that you end up pissing some people off i mean so in your process of being an athlete i mean from my experience of athletes i know they're normally highly driven highly focused and you just said there you've lost part of yourself you've probably lost relationships and you lost opportunities to be that person there are probably people that you know you maybe even lost friends along the way to be that person as well that you lived that you know you wanted to be an athlete and you lived it and you went down it and you went after it and you got it and at some level that caused some disruption in your life i'm sure i would say i would say so that's probably where where i think sport teaches you this triangle in terms of your education mm-hmm your sport and your social life but one's going to give which yeah. one is going to be so obviously most most athletes we have no choice i think to a certain extent some are going to try and keep this that social life intact whereas for me it was a no-brainer it's like well i'm in full-time education and i want to get higher up in sports so obviously mm-hmm. the social life has got to go but i think because i've been more introverted mm-hmm. In that proportion of that triangle, now I'm in my later life. Well, I'm not that old; in my being in my thirties. But in the grand scheme of things, it's more difficult to to to, to put myself out of my comfort zone when it comes to that because mm-hmm. I per se, as you put it, I was on the straight and narrow in sport. Yeah. The social aspects of growing up as a teenager are on the periphery; they mm-hmm. weren't. Of an import of an importance to me, but then as you as you mentioned it, well, how what bearing has that had on me as an individual? I wouldn't say from a social sense, my communication skills are, are unchanged, but I think that interaction from an outward sense, that be it if it's not in an academic sense or a sporting environment, is alien to me. So it's more difficult. Yeah, you're in you're in a situation with an unknown outcome, so you get anxious. 
And the only way you'll get over that anxiousness is by going out and putting yourself in that situation of an unknown outcome and feeling it and saying, okay, well, I felt it now. And actually it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I'm through it. And I've learned something new about myself. I've got a new perspective so I can go and act again. And I'll just go do that again. Um, and I'll go put myself in a social situation again where I slightly feel that anxiety. And that's what um, ACT is about, is that exposure to, to different perspectives and going out and actually doing things because you're not going to live a life where you're not going to come in contact with upsetting people or you're not going to live a life where you're going to not never have uns unsettling thoughts or unsettling emotions or not feel confident. It is part of, of, of being a human being. So at some level, accepting that and just still going out and doing it. But it can be really, really hard to do that. You know, it can be really hard to, to break that, you know, because emotions are painful. That's why we we call it emotional pain. That's why we say, well, you've hurt my feelings because it's, it's pain. Um, and we don't like pain. We want to keep, move away from it. And that's what keeps most people stuck. Then we come all the way around back to the beginning of the, of the podcast. <laughs> so my penultimate question to you, Gary, then, is if you, if, if you, in your opinion, then, if you wanted to ch get somebody to challenge their perception or their mindset, how would they go about doing that? Um, how would they go about challenging their mindset? I think there's this, this, this belief that you have to be in a certain state to do things. Yeah. It's like, I have to have the right mindset. Oh, I, I can't do that. I have to be the right, I have to have the right mindset. I hear that a lot and I see it a lot. Um, especially when people say, I can't do something. I have to be in a certain state to, to, to get there. Or I have to have achieved something, have got something to, to, to do that. I can't go, I can't go be a life coach yet because I have to get these qualifications or I can't be an athlete because I have to be this first. And it's the wrong way around. You have to just start doing the action first. And once you start doing the action, then everything else comes. So the way to, to sort of step out, to challenge your mindset, if you want to use mindset as a term, the way to challenge it is, is, to, is just to start doing the thing that you want to be in some way, even the smallest way that, that, that you can. And we might not have all the resources everybody else has, but at some level start being that person and acting in the world as that person and then seeing what comes up as, a, as feelings and thoughts and allow yourself just to be open to that experience. Okay, well, I'm going to try and be this person. What happens? What comes up? What, where do I get stuck with that? Um, and I think the only way you can challenge it is just by doing it, is acting, is, is just go out and, and, and do something, just make your life about something, just pick a value, head off in that direction and see where it takes you. Um, because otherwise you'll stay where you are for the rest of your life. And um, for me, staying where I am is not something that I find comfortable. I have to always be moving in a certain direction. And for a lot of, you know, when you get lost, you just lose that direction. Um, but pick a direction, whether you want to call that value. Um, that's what we call it a lot in ACT. We talk about values. Find out what your values are. Um, find out what's important to you. Ask yourself the question, what do I want my life to be about? Um, and then move in that direction and start practicing being that person. And then over time, yeah, the, it will catch up with you because that's where confidence comes from. It's just that I'm just going to keep acting like this all the time. Um, if I keep acting like this eventually, then um, I will get it. And my final question to before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, 
Mm-hmm. What would that be? <clears throat> I think the one thing, if somebody was going to take away something from this podcast, is that your thoughts are just thoughts and your emotions are just emotions. And there's there, anything you put around that, any meaning you put around that, or any stories you put around that, it's just is the stories that you put around it. Um, so they're not objective truth. So don't see them as objective truth. Just see them as uh, what they are. They're just a part of our experience um, and they will come and go. Uh, and you don't have to buy into them. You don't have to um, react to them. You can just allow them to be there. And that if you just allow them to be there and just sit with it for a little bit, it probably isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. So once again, Gary, thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. It was really nice talking to you. The player has been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Gary and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at activate underscore your life and at James or Roberts 11. You can get and do that on Twitter and Facebook. Do check out his website, activate-yourlife.com. And again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check those out. The links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsum.com under the category psychology. So once again, thanks for listening. And I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.